Welcome to A Better Story Podcast. Today we are talking about another old story. And it's an old story uh, that I actually, at face value, don't really like or didn't like at first. Uh, It is a letter, uh, like a lot of the Christian scriptures are, written by probably Paul. Now, Paul is uh, maybe my least favorite author of the Christian scriptures uh, because he, yeah, just sometimes says things in a way that uh, is pretty off-putting to me. And this is an example of one. It is in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, which is an ancient letter to some early Christians. I'm not going to read you the entire thing because it's like 50 verses and that would take the entire episode. But long story short, it's a fairly well-known passage about resurrection. Uh, and the probably like best known line out of it is where Paul says something along the lines of, if the resurrection didn't happen, then anyone who believes in it, anyone who follows Jesus should be pitied more than anyone else. So it's this big, long diatribe about resurrection where he's trying to convince these early followers of Jesus that resurrection is a thing, that it happened to Jesus, and that it will happen to them, and as we're going to find out, to everyone else. Now, I am initially, if I'm honest, sort of put off by Paul's certainty around this. Like, he doesn't even say anything particularly controversial. There are way worse things in the Bible than what's in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. But the way he says it uh, just does not really embody my approach to faith and spirituality. But as we look at it, I think we will find something uh, sacred and interesting and bigger going on. Because you actually look at the passage, like we're going to in a second, we find out that there's one thing being talked about, resurrection. And then there's another thing actually happening at like a different level that sort of uh, gives us some guidance that parallels our own sort of spiritual journeys uh, and hopefully helps us embody spirituality and faith in a healthier, more robust way. So we're going to weave in and out of the details of the story and then sort of zoom out and see what's going on. Uh, And I'll just tell you straight up from the top what I think is happening here. I think in this big, long, apparently or what can seem like an arrogant passage, Paul is holding two separate postures together that seem opposing, and he's holding them at the same time. And that's this sort of like dogged, relentless hope that borders on certainty, and then this doubt or uh, appreciation for mystery and uncertainty. Now, if you're like me, uh, we can tend to jump from one or the other. I went through a phase uh, of like 100% certainty, or at least the desire for 100% certainty in my spiritual journey. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I would read any sort of apologetics, which is like writing to convince people that what you believe is rational and normal and logical. And I went through this phase where I took in as much of that as I could. And by the end of it, uh, I was pretty disappointed. Not to say that uh, there aren't good reasons to believe uh, in Jesus or to follow Jesus, but that it doesn't always work at uh, this rational, concrete level like we want. Then so sometimes we swing to the other side and we doubt constantly. Uh, you question everything, you deconstruct everything. Totally healthy response to a lot of the ways that spirituality and faith has been embodied and held. Now the thing is, if we live into 
either one of those realities uh, too much, it can be uh, potentially unsustainable. It can make us a little bit of an ass. Like when I was in my certainty phase, I was a huge ass to people because I wanted to explain with certainty that I was right, that what I was believing made sense. Uh, I could also do that in my doubting phase, in my deconstruction phase, where I would question everything, even if it wasn't helpful to the person I was talking to. Like I was lumping all of my doubts on them, all of my anxiety on them. Well, in truth, both of these sort of ends of the spectrum, certainty and doubt, are part of the spiritual and the cognitive journey. We all go through phases where we want concrete, real confidence in what we believe or what we are doing in the world. And then we also go through a really healthy phase of tearing that apart and tearing that down and seeing what this is really about. But where I think we can land and what I think Paul is actually embodying here in this passage that is about resurrection, but where we see this other thing happening is that you can be and we can be both relentlessly hopeful and still admit that half the time we have no idea what's going on or how to answer some really big questions. So let's check it out and see what's actually happening here. So first off, Paul at face value appears to be, uh, like I said, borderline certain, if not just like doggedly hopeful about what happens when you die, about the fact that resurrection will be experienced uh, by everyone. Now, this isn't actually the exact same thing as certainty. I don't think he's saying you have to be 100% certain, and I don't think we have to even always be 100% hopeful uh, by any means, uh, or that we even need to be defensive about that hope. What's happening here is Paul uh, is not so much certain, I think, as he, as he is angry. If you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, he's basically telling these people to get their shit together because their sort of like smallness of faith, their lack of hope, uh, their over-attention to their current circumstances is making them live small, sort of petty, self-absorbed lives where they are treating each other really terribly. Just read through 1 Corinthians sometimes. These people are not treating each other well. And Paul is saying if you zoom out, if you realize that what you do here and now has some ringing impact for the rest of eternity, then you're going to change how you act now. And so that's one thing that's happening here. The second thing is we got to pay attention to how Paul is hopeful. Because it's not just like this blind certainty where it's like you better believe and just like hunker down and even if it doesn't make sense. No, he, he backs in to hope. He lets his experience guide him. At the beginning of this passage, he like recounts all of these people who saw the resurrected Jesus or said they saw the resurrected Jesus. And then he throws himself in there. He says, and I was the last one, which is kind of true, kind of not true. Like he, he had this like mystical experience, but it wasn't exactly what all the other uh, sort of early followers of Jesus said they encountered when they encountered a resurrected Jesus. But he says, I experienced this. Like, I know this was real. This, is, this happened to me. And so he lets his experience lead him to hope. He backs in to hope, which is the only way that I can actually really be sort of like doggedly hopeful in my own spiritual life, is when I realize that resurrection is something that I have experienced in my life through some of the shittiest times of my life. On the other end of it, something worthwhile has come out 
in spite of that pain or that death that was experienced. And so Paul has sort of seen the same thing. He saw his worst actions, him actually putting people to death on the other end of it. He sort of had this thing happen that's bigger than himself. Not because of it, but despite of it, which is what I think resurrection is. And so he says, this experience happened to me, this resurrection experience. It happened to Jesus, and I think it's actually the pattern of how life works. So if you're struggling to be sort of hopeful or embrace that part of spirituality, try backing into it. Try looking around you and seeing where is hope actually found? Where do you see a resurrection? Now, there's another part to this as well. He isn't just hopeful. He's also um, pretty uncertain, which he doesn't get to for a while. Uh, towards the end of the chapter, he starts to say, but you probably got questions. Like, you're probably wondering how this whole resurrection thing works. And he basically punts. He's like, he doesn't flat out say it, but if you look at what he's saying, he says, I don't know. I don't know the physics of it. I don't really know like what this whole thing is going to shake out like, but I think this is what's going to happen. I'm pretty confident this is what's going to happen. So he starts to appeal to metaphor and patterns in life. And he says things like, look, you can see when you put a seed in the ground, it, it appears to die, but something really beautiful comes out despite that. And that's what resurrection is like. That's, that's sort of what we can hope for. And so when it gets down to like the nitty gritty hard questions, Paul is far from certain. He embraces this sort of mystery while also holding this sort of dogged hope. And those two things aren't opposite. And so the question is, how do we hold those things together? How does he hold those things together at the same time? And I think the answer is because this thing he's talking about resurrection, the spiritual journey, the sacred, is big enough for both of those things. In fact, if our spirituality can only hold mystery or can only hold certainty, then it's probably not big enough. Let's back up here for a second and talk about resurrection. I've talked about this a little bit before in other episodes, but it is big enough to hold both of these ideas. We got to understand a little bit of the history of resurrection. First off, it was not a universally held idea 2,000 years ago by anyone. It was a pretty new, pretty radical idea. Uh, in the sort of Greek and Roman world, views of the resurrection ranged all over the place. Um, a lot of people thought it was impossible, that it was absurd. Other folks, uh, maybe it's just slightly more optimistically, thought it could occasionally happen in these isolated kind of miraculous events. Uh, within Judaism, there were a ton of different thoughts and beliefs on this too. Pharisaic Judaism, so Pharisees, the people that Jesus kind of like gives a lot of shit to, they actually believed in it, and Jesus seemed to believe in it in some way uh, or another. So he actually agreed with these people, even though it seems like he doesn't. A lot of other groups did not. It was not a widely held thing in Jewish tradition. But here's where it gets really interesting, and this is something I've mentioned in previous episodes. Uh, for the people that Paul was writing to, who were probably mostly Gentiles, non-Jewish folks, they would have known of resurrection as something that only happened to heroes and gods. It was only for the elite, the special, the, the sort of extra sacred. But Paul was saying it's bigger than that. He's saying it happens to everyone, which is a really radical idea. That life coming out of death is not something that 
only happens to the most spiritual or the most powerful or the most religious. But it's the actual pattern of life. And he actually even, he says this in verse 22 of this passage. He says, look, death came about with the first person, Adam, which just means human. But we see that that in Christ, resurrection happens for every human. And so even if you believe just like straight up classic evangelical like resurrection or heaven, if you're following Paul, you got to believe it happens to everyone. That's what he says here. But for Paul, it's, it's more than just what happens when you die. It's more than just the end of my life and hoping for something after that. For him, and he says it in this passage, death is like this, this force of its own. He calls it a power and authority. It's not an individual event, but it's a sort of corrupting, pervasive force, the kind of force that guided the Roman Empire to persecute people, to put them to death, to claim that they themselves were God. And so for him, resurrection is about that force not having the sort of final say, not just in the one-time death of our lives, but in the ongoing deaths we experience in life, that that force cannot be the most powerful thing that we experience in the world. And so for Paul, resurrection is universal. It's gigantic. It's political. It means that the state-sponsored evil execution of Jesus can't have the final say if resurrection actually happens. And then it's built into the fabric of reality, into, into nature. We see it everywhere. So if it's that big, then it can and should contain both this sort of like relentless, dogged hopefulness that he embodies, and then also this embrace of mystery and doubt. And so if you're in one of those phases, I'm not trying to rush you out of it. Stay in it, do the work, go through it. But I hope that on the other end of it, you can arrive at something large enough and wide enough to be hopeful. Not to be certain, but to be hopeful. And then to also realize I've got no idea how to answer some of these questions. But I think in the end, resurrection is the pattern of life. So if you're put off by Paul like I am, know that I think he's doing something bigger here. I don't think he's just trying to make a really sort of like certain argument. I think he's appealing to the spiritual journey. So keep going on it, friends. Until next time.